Rich, welcome to our studio, such that it is. We're longtime friends, colleagues, looking forward to working with you on this. I think this will be me interviewing you as you interview me. I think this is really more just of a conversation between the two of us as we'll share stories of cards and people, yesterday, the best of yesterday and the best of today. And because a lot of times what came up yesterday is still very relevant today. Sports Card Insights, that's what I'm titling this, which gives a lot of latitude, a free reign to go in lots of different directions of what's of interest to collectors and dealers and people in the hobby, people in the industry. And you've worn so many different hats within this hobby. And I think it's mainly a hobby, but it's also an industry. But I lean toward affectionately calling it a hobby, which I you might as well. But uh, tell us some of the things you've done in your long and storied hobby history. Well, you know, I've, I currently run shows up in Plano, including one that I do for my synagogue as a fundraiser twice a year, where everybody who comes in gets free cards for doing nothing more than showing up. I'm currently also writing a column for GTS Distributing, uh, usually on a two to three times a month basis where I just touch on what's going on today in the hobby. And I also work full-time for ComC, and the official title of the job is Catalog Maintenance Expert, basically just using a lot of what I've learned and what I'm still learning you know, to assist in the building of the database and the fixing of things in the database. It's amazing. I used to think I was all that when I, you know, when I was working for you back in the day. There's so much stuff out there that I'd never seen or heard of before that it's absolutely amazing. It just keeps coming. It does. It just keeps coming. And it's old and new. I mean, it's not just, you know, what card companies are doing today, but it's what people did way back in the day. It's like, and there's always somebody who knows more than you do about something, which is what's really cool. It is a hobby. It's a business. It's an industry. But if we have fun with it, it's really the best thing in the world to do. I agree. Uh, One thing I think you haven't done, and I haven't done, even though we've been involved in it, is grading cards, which is a specialized skill. No, I've never, you know, I do unofficial grading for myself. Okay, does the car, you know, when I look at a card, does it have a crease in it? Okay, if it's old and has a crease, I price it at X. If it has physical damage, I price it at Y. If it looks good and I didn't see anything, I price it at Z. But, I mean, in terms of the detailed grading, you and I have never done that. And, you know, there's a lot of talk going on because there's a small percentage of cards that have had issues that have been discovered. But 98% of what out there is good. Nobody wants a bad card going through one of the major grading companies. The grading companies don't want it. We don't want it. Nobody wants it. But it's almost like the doping scandals in in the Olympics. The bad guys are always going to be a half step ahead of you. And the trick is to catch up. Well, they'll be a half step ahead when they get started. But the whole idea of grading is to give confidence that something is authentic and the actual grade. I just meant if you and I were presented a six and a half and a seven or a seven and a half and an eight or even a seven or an eight, it's it's. It's hard, and the graders have a tough job. They have all these tools at their disposal, but it's high volume, high stress. 
and, 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 they and it's also very really subjective. Some subjectivity to because it. Because the difference between a 7 or an 8 is very minimal. The difference between near mint and near mint to mint. Could it be centering? Could it be how the card presents? Could it be there's something? And they're looking on it with sophisticated loops that you and I don't have. I may even have them, Rich, but I don't know how to use them. I have these loops, and I, I don't... If you look at a lot of cards, and you're trained properly, which I know the, the BGS guys were, you know what to look for. And I wasn't one of the trainers for that. I mean, obviously, as you said, when when we're involved with price guides, you can't just look at a card and see the value without knowing that it's lower or higher because of the condition. It's not just the player in the set. It's the condition that it's in. And when we're wandering around for card uh, stores and shows back in the old days with shoe leather, shoe leather type uh, price gathering, it was, uh, you know, it was in the eye of the beholder. Well, we used to call some cards condition sensitive. First card in the set, last card in the set. 52 Herm Wiemeyer, I believe, was card number 81. And that's a card that for first, some... First of the series. First of the series. And yeah. because those where it was on the sheet, I'm convinced it was the upper left-hand corner of that sheet. So you almost never got a well-centered Herm Wiemeyer card. And so you had to deal with what cards come out badly centered. 76... George Brett was traditional for not having a good centered copy. Uh, this 84 Donruss Joe Carter, there were some 80. Eddie, Eddie Murray or, and uh, Ozzie Smith and their rookie. Aspects of, of uh, <coughs> sports card collecting is that it is a great equalizer among generations. Subject to the size of your wallet, but a, 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 a wealthy, a kid with a bunch of money in his pocket can be every bit the the uh, uh, can can do very well in this industry if he studies up on the players and the sets and all that as as opposed to a, an older person that has less time or less inclination to dig deep so it's a great equalizer and a great father son and and uh, brothers and grandfather and all kinds of relational and, and, you things. know and and there are ladies to collect too so we don't yeah, ignore that true. it's a good family hobby it's also, when you talked about being an equalizer, you can get good cards out of a dollar pack. You can get good cards out of a $1,500 pack. Obviously, the $1,500 or $10,000 pack or whatever Panini sells flawless for, you're probably going to get more expensive cards than you do out of an opening day pack. But you can enjoy the opening day pack just as much if you're a young collector or even an older collector. You're, getting, you're feeling you're getting a lot of cards. Actually, they call it opening day. They may call it Big, I think they call it Big League now. It's like a 400-card set. It's a really cool set. They, they do a lot of neat things in that set. Well, I mean, the card companies have a tough job, too. Basically, they're putting out cards that everybody hopes when they open their pack, they get the glamour card that was advertised for that set. And if they don't, they're disappointed, but they're, there's uh, some scarcity involved. There's... Uh, Luck of the draw. So, well, not every box can have a Mike Trout autograph in it, right. which is one of the issues. And I always said when I was reviewing boxes for sports collectors daily, do I get what's promised out of the box? As long as I get what's promised out of the box, I'm fine. You know, I can't control what I get. 
I mean, there was one time I opened an Allen and Gintra box. I got three relic cards, two of which were Alex Avila. <laughs> you know, okay. And then somebody posted on Facebook, does Rich ever get a good card out of the review boxes? Uh, I occasionally, and you know, we write about well, them. But, we'll see about that. But it's one of those things where I never complained because I got what I was supposed to get. You, you're getting three... Truth and packaging. Truth and packaging. That's all I ever ask for is truth and packaging. Well, that's, 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 that's all we ask for, but we want more. We're we, hoping for more, and that's part of the fun of nobody goes to Las Vegas to break even. Actually, some people perhaps do go to Vegas to break even. Well, I'd be thrilled going to Vegas to break even. Seeing If I broke even on my trip to Vegas and I saw a couple shows and I walked up and down the strip and saw the interesting sights, I'd probably be very thrilled. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. Uh, tell us about your uh, situation with ComC. How'd that come about? It actually came about. It, it was something we had talked about. We had started talking about it. Six and a half years before I ever got hired there, which is almost exactly the length of time between the time I first officially met you, even though you swear to me it's earlier than that, and when I got hired at Beckett. And I had met Tim at the 2010 Baltimore National, and I said, you need me. I said, look, I'm not, in the ho- I'm not working full-time in the hobby right now. I worked on the Almanac. I worked on these other guides. One thing you need is you need somebody with real database experience in figuring out what cards were. I agree. I agree. And then we had some twists and turns. And in the fall of 2016, my job job with Bank of America got outsourced. And frankly, I understood why. I was getting my 40-hour-a-week job done and probably about 20 hours of work. That doesn't really leave, you know, it wasn't something that really required a ton of effort. And I posted on LinkedIn. Oh, by the way, I'm, by the way, if you want to see what I'm doing while I'm between jobs, you want to see how I can really multitask, see me. Well, Tim reached out to me and says, oh, you're between jobs. That means you're available. Uh, yeah, that means I'm available. So I flew out for my training the next month. And I've been, I was hired in January of 2017, and I've been there since. Well, I, I've, uh, I've personally had a good experience at ComC. I, I would... Uh... I'm pretty sure you're a part of that, Rich, so I want to thank you on behalf of the other people that use ComC as a buyer-seller. It's a nice uh, platform that has been created by a guy who was a hobbyist as well as having some uh, programming chops uh, with the ability to pull it off and and uh, to create an organization that uh, hopefully takes really good care of everybody's cards and gets what I, what I always was looking for back in the day was some service. And Mark Harwell and I discussed creating this, but there were a lot of moving parts. But basically to get cards that I don't want or that aren't important to me and get them in the hands of somebody that really wants them that's at a fair price that I can set is, is uh, that, that was very appealing. Right. And he figured out how to do that, which is absolutely amazing. We, we spent years trying to figure that out. And one of the problems with the baseball card business is a very labor intensive business. The reason so many people want to deal in high end cards only is it's a lot less labor intensive than figuring out the 792 cards of an 82 top set or the, 330 or so cards in each of the three tops 
base series, you know, and, it's you know, super long tail, not just the long tail. And if uh, Mark and I and other leaders in the company, we we would just think if if we c- it's just very challenging to do this with with uh, with sports cards. But if you can if you can figure out how to do it, it's it, it's applicable to many other fields, but there's so many SKUs, you know, whatever the stock keeping units. There's, and then you have all the different conditions, so just millions of, of different choices. And then it's finding hobbyists or people who can do it. You know, one of the most amazing things with ComC, and I was a user long before I went to work there, is any, anything I've ever ordered from them always gets shipped perfectly. You know, the packaging is perfect every time. I've never had an issue with the packaging. Hmm. They, they train people how to ship. I've had lots of problems with the packaging, but the packaging problems I've had are the packages I sense. <laughs> okay, I'm talking about what they <laughs> and send. Then when they send me, everything's fine, and they say, well, you, you should send us cards like this. And I, I have not packed uh, as securely as I could, and so I'll get a few corner dings, which they're now allowing to be put in with that notation and uh, I think that's fine so I can price it a little bit lower and somebody might get a good deal if they then they can tweak out the corner perhaps which I don't think is illegal to just to just kind of uh, you're not adding anything to the card you're just you're just uh, uh, trying to with your finger just kind of smooth back out the corner that got slightly dinged if you dropped it on the floor it got crunched in shipping well, you know, one of the things that's worked, and it's amazing is, and I'm using real numbers on this, when I went out there in like 2013 or 2014, it, it was one building and 40 employees, give or take. Today, and these are, you know, official notes, it's approximately 100 employees and four offices. You know, that's how much ComC has grown in recent years. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive. I think this is becoming ComC's... Advertising spotlight for, yes. for this month, uh, which uh, they are one of our sponsors, and uh, happy to have them as that. But they're 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 one of several, and we'll talk about the others as well. What else? Uh, we're approaching the end of our time, Rich. Uh, I, I thought we met before 1984. You're probably right, but that's but I that's when I go, remember meeting you. But, yeah. But you used to go to the New York shows, so I, I know. You probably I, I met thought me. we met at one of the Paul but, Gallagher shows. That's probably true. And that would have been that could possibly be, late 70s. That's definitely late 70s because when I was at Columbia, I would take the train down to the shows. It was the easiest show to get. Because I met Mel. You know, your friend Mel oh. Solomon. I met him around that time, too. And so you had to so meet I think him. I already knew you him. You already knew me. Yeah. But I never knew officially. I officially met you that, that, that I remember. at the. And I think it makes a better apocryphal story to say I met you on a, on a, on a softball field in Parsippany, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, it was. That's, uh, yeah, I think it was earlier, but... Uh, You're and, probably and, right. And for six and a half years, I don't know that I... I it wasn't that I didn't that I was rejecting you. I no. didn't really have, I mean, it just kind of came on that I needed employees and, right. and I needed somebody and I thought I need somebody like Rich. And then I think, well, I'm going to, I want to like Rich. I should, I should, I should make an offer to Rich, but you were always involved in, you know, you had a card shop and we're working different things. So right. I knew that you had the knowledge, but the availability to come to down to Dallas, um, I'm glad you, 
took a chance and well, came down here. You know, I was still, you know, frankly, you know, it's really expensive to live up in New Jersey. And I was still yeah. living at home. And even my parents who appreciated having me there, they were getting older. They would have been thrilled to have somebody younger who could do things. Even they realized I needed to get on with my life. And the way I was going to get on with my life was moving to Dallas. Well, it's been a great blessing to me and many others. And now you've taken your talents to... Seattle, or should I say Redmond, you except say- that you live here, you're, you're up in Plano, and so thanks for coming down today to visit uh, in, our, in our mutual interview conversation, and we will definitely do it again. In fact, we, we've been brainstorming about some ideas since, you're, since we have a, a close relationship and you're not far away and a lot of uh, experience. Uh, I think we can have some other kinds of conversations that I, I think are not happening otherwise that we can uniquely pull off. I think you're absolutely And I don't want to jump the gun on those because I don't like to announce what's going to happen. I just like to do it. But when we do it, I think people will be pleased. And if, uh, regardless, we're looking for feedback from people that uh, listen and say, wow, that I enjoyed that. Uh, can you do more of that, or I'd enjoy it better if you did it a certain way, or why don't you tackle this topic next time? And we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll try to please. So thanks for having me, and I look forward to more shows with you. You bet. Thanks, Rich. Now for our sponsors, we've got a great group of sponsors, starting with Beckett Media. Beckett Grading Services, Beckett Authentication Services, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike's Stadium Sports Cards, Panini, Tops, and Upper Deck.